Well, some 250 years ago, another song was being written as this country was just getting its bearings and getting its footing. Some of you will recognize the title of the old song. What about this country, but it has a, a, a deep meaning. And the song was entitled, How Firm a Foundation. 1787 is when that song was written, and it was based upon the great and precious promises of the Word of God itself. And of course, at the same time that song is being written, this nation starts really still in the midst of fighting for its freedom and embracing the freedom that it declared. It, it, it's bonding itself as well to the faith that's driving this country. And so it begs the question for us today to ask the same question, how is the foundation now? How's the foundation of our country? How's the foundation of our homes? How's the foundation of our family? How's the foundation of our faith? Psalms 11 and 3 simply says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Depending on if you're a person of uh, pessimistic tendencies or optimistic tendencies is how you'll read into that verse. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Is it, is it asking the question, give up, I can't do anything, or we need to be looking around and see what we can do? Jedediah Morse is a name that most of us would not recognize without doing any kind of study. Jedediah Morse uh, was known for a lot of things. He was a pioneer educator in this country. He was a pioneer clergyman in this country. He was a geographer. Therefore, because of his work that, uh, of course, continued for generations, he became known as the father of geography in this country. He also was the uh, natural father to his son, Samuel Morse. Now you might recognize that name with Morse code. He made this statement 250 years ago. And he said, the dangers are of two kinds, those which affect our religion and those which affect our government. They are, however, so clearly and closely allied that they cannot be separated. The foundations that support Christianity are also necessary to support a free and equal government like our own. What a statement from 250 years ago that we're still looking at today. I want you to stand with me as we go to the Word of God together. In Psalms 33, I want to begin reading at verse 8. Psalms 33, beginning to read at verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord, however, stands forever. The plans of his heart are to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all 
the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out and on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. A war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. So our soul waits for the Lord, for he is our help and our shield. Can we give the Lord a shout of praise today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just before you're seated, don't you sit yet. Turn around to somebody and say, I'm glad I'm here today. You know, as a congregation, we, we embrace the fact that there are people from many different nations that live here now and make up the congregation of Grace Life Church. Many of you streaming uh, as well can identify that maybe you weren't born in the United States, but this has become home. And so as we recognize that a little better than we did yesteryear, maybe, we realize that even simple things that the Bible says needs to be pronounced a little louder. That is, God is not just the God of the USA. He is God of the whole earth. And he's watching over all of our affairs. This psalmist writes this, and we still have it before us, because he knew that God is sovereign. And we praise God for his person, for his word, and for his works. We celebrate that. Many of us, if we had the privilege of turning around to a few, we'd find out there are some first-generation Christians, second, third, fourth, fifth, and right on. Many of us have traditions that's been passed down to us of our faith, as well as traditions that's been passed down to us as countrymen, as people of the United States of America. Some of you here today were born, of course, here, maybe in the hills of Tennessee. More than one. Or you may have been born somewhere else, but you have become a citizen of the United States of America. And we realize that to the whole world, this statement goes out from the Word of God. Blessed is the nation who the Lord is their God. Today, as we look at the United States of America, we have to look at our foundation. How strong is that foundation? Is there cracks in it? Are there chasms in it? Are we, what are we doing? What are we observing? How do we feel? Are, does it even matter to us any longer? These foundations of America, I going back and reading and researching like I enjoy doing, there's something that stood out to me that I'd really never looked into, to be quite honest, and yet I have made a blanket statement 
And I've heard a blanket statement my whole life. This is the blanket statement. Well, we have a Judeo-Christian ethic background. I've heard that my whole life, and I've repeated that statement. Matter of fact, those of you that have been a member of this church for many years knew my father-in-law, Walter Langdon, who pastored here many years as well. And as he got into his twilight years, and as I had become the lead pastor here, we would sit down and have some conversations about his day versus my day and the challenges of the pastorate and just things that we were observing. And one thing that would always come up in conversation is from his perspective, we are a Judeo-Christian ethic country. From my perspective of watching things he wrote... I would have to come to a position that we no longer necessarily are embracing that to the level that he once knew. Now, I don't want to be uh, a a Danny Doubter, so to speak, today, but I am a realist. And the challenges that we face. With a Judeo-Christian ethic, many of us that have some age on us can remember times in this country where If you said you were a Christian, that that colored the conversation differently. People were a a little more cautious to maybe say something or not to say something. And there was a given respect. If your children were involved in athletics yesterday, and if there was a practice on a Wednesday night or a Sunday afternoon, those children could be excused because of church activity. No longer is that even considered, and we know that. Many of these things, and I could go on with example after example, were based upon a Judeo-Christian ethic thought. What does it mean? Judea, of course, speaking of Judaism. Christian, of course, speaking of followers of Christ. And knowing that these two religions uh, uh, are, are very closely related. And in that, the principles, again, I'm not going to go through all the things I'd love to have the time to go through, but to understand the things that we embrace in Christianity comes, our roots go back to Judaism. We wouldn't have the word of God if the Jews had not become custodians of the word of God. All but one writer, even of New Testament, were Jews. As we look back to the Old Testament or the Tanakh, we understand the law, all of these going back to Judaism. So this Judeo-Christian ethic, what was it? And that's what made me go back. There were seven guiding principles for the Judeo-Christian ethic. I want you to listen closely as I, I won't elaborate on each one, but I wonder in your heart and mind, are these the things that are under attack today. The first is of the Judeo-Christian ethic, which, of course, our Declaration of Faith, our Constitution and Bill of Rights, all used in the writing of and formation of the words. The number one foundation for the Judeo-Christian ethic was a dignity of human life. Not murder, but also to love your neighbor, dignity of human life. The second is a traditional and monogamous family. Their position was, if this was lost, the family becomes meaningless. The third is a national work ethic. Based upon 2 Thessalonians 3 and 10, if you don't work, you don't eat. 
The fourth, a right to a God-centered education. For they knew the fear of the Lord was the beginning of knowledge. The fifth was Abrahamic covenant, observing, here's the word, moral truths. The sixth, a common decency, righteousness, things like the golden rule, guiding them, we must do the right thing. And the seventh was a personal accountability to God himself. Seven things guiding a Judeo-Christian ethic became the very fabric of what we have today. From the writing of the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, heavily based upon the Word of God. And I know these next words we've heard our whole life, no matter what your age is, but we got to go back to the origin of these that said, can we dream? If for just a moment, will you just allow me the liberty to do this? Can you imagine being with these first signers, these first that are saying, we're here in this land. It isn't all that we want it to be yet. Can we just dream a while? What would be a utopia? What would be the perfect setting? What is it that we want? What's worth fighting for? What's worth living for? What's, for, what's worth working our whole life for? What do we want for our next generation and the generation after them? And with all the work, they kind of came up with a theme. These inalienable rights to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. What a dream. Do we still dream it today? Do we still dream that today? Today, every day we watch the news, we hear of another shooting. Someone doesn't believe that everybody deserves life. And liberty, and a pursuit, a journey of happiness. And no matter what your skin color is, we... We want you to enjoy life. That's the foundation of this nation. Can you see the attack today is upon these things? These things that guided these writers, that, that caused them, many of them, to sacrifice beyond what we can imagine. And uh, some of them losing their life. As we go back, and of course, I won't take much time, but we know that in all that, at the beginning of what is known as America, that, that education they talked about, colleges such as Harvard, William and Mary, Princeton, King's College, which today is Columbia, Brown, Rutgers, Dartmouth, every one of them were started by a Christian preacher. You see, it influenced everything they did. The New England primer, the ABCs, the students would learn A by memorization. And this is how they were taught. A, and then they would recite, in Adam's fall, we all sinned. B, heavens, mind, and the Bible's mind. C, Christ crucified for sinners died. That's how they learned their ABCs. Sounds pretty Christian, doesn't it? 
in the formation of a government. Today, as we look around and we still look to Washington, D.C., we know just looking around the things that may be easily overlooked now, the mall itself of D.C. is in the form of a cross. We understand Washington's monument. Again, I've shared this in the past. The very first thing that picks up the first ray of sunlight every day in Washington, D.C. is the cap of Washington's monument. It's an aluminum cap. Laos Dio. Praise be to God. Every day as he allows sun to shine upon that city, the reflection goes back. Praise be to God. As you even throughout going in the elevator up on the walls are scriptures all through that monument. We understand that uh, the Capitol itself and the house chamber on the walls is in God we trust. The Supreme Court still has on its doors engraved the Ten Commandments and on the wall behind the chair of the Chief Justice. I came across something that wasn't just in that formation of, of the capital city and its monuments that have been erected since then, but a president not too far removed from us, but with chilling words from a ecumenical Christian meeting that happened in Dallas, Texas in 1984. Ronald Reagan quoted from Ephesians 2 and 12. It simply says, having no hope and without God in this world. His words finished with this, without God, there is no virtue because there's no prompting of the conscience. Without God, we're mired in that material that flat world that tells us only what the senses perceive. Without God, there is a coarsening of the society. Wow, can I read that again? Without God, there is a coarsening of the society. And without God, democracy will not and cannot long endure. If we ever forget that we're one nation under God then we will be a nation gone under. Again, sobering times. And to conclude today, I want to come back to the question that the psalmist asked. If the foundations falter, if they crumble, if they fail, what can the righteous do? Our attitude may be we can't do a thing. We live in a time where we learn new words about every week. And in the midst of wokeism, I believe the Spirit of God is speaking to his people again. We need to be awakened. This nation has known great awakenings. It needs to know an awakening again. All day this service is about from songs to verses to prayer time giving this nation back to God. We must remember God's word, his eternal word. Heavens and earth pass away, but not his word. Blessed is the nation who the Lord is their God. Amen. We know that righteousness still exalts a nation. 
But there's a deception. That deception, of course, wants to sweep these things and cause us just to excuse these things away. It's a spirit driving these things. I was reminded of Amos 8 and 11 that simply says, In the latter times there shall be a famine, not of food, but of hearing the word of God. Now, you'll notice this, again, is one of those times when, when you go deeper in study. Is it just for our day, and are we living in the latter times? You may believe that. You may not. I personally do believe that we are living in latter times. But it is also a guiding principle that God speaks to the nations. This, again, he's the God of all the world and all the nations, And he's simply saying this, that Amos, of course, recorded. In the latter times, there'll be a famine, not for food, not of water, but of hearing the word of God. What happens is when a people decides we no longer need to hear your voice, when we no longer are guided by your voice and we're going to do our own thing, then God begins to withhold. It's just simply that. You know what the word bless means? Simply means God pouring out. We're blessed because he's pouring out of his spirit, pouring out life into us. When God in his sovereignty says, okay, you are doing these things, I will withhold. That which I've blessed you with, I now won't rebuke as much as just simply withhold. And in that, what he simply says is, he leaves us alone. Sobering, isn't it? If I ask for a raise of hands, how many of you want God to be in the midst of your 4th of July today? I would trust every hand would go up. Do you want God in your marriage? Do you want God in your home? Do you want God in the school that your children attend? Do you want God in this church? Do you want God in your life? Then, of course, we need to express that. God, I desire your presence. God, I want you. I pray to you. I I do things. I listen to music that inspires me about your word. I go to your word so it speaks directly to me. God, I want you in my life. But whenever there comes a time, whenever we, not only through just life taking over and we forget, but when we go to the level of saying, God, I've got it now. I've got this. I don't need you like I once needed you. And it moves on to God, I don't even want you in my life. God then begins to withhold And the reason there's a famine for the hearing of the word of God, because there's no one speaking the word of God. He withholds the prophets. He withholds the prophetic. He withholds the voice that he would use. Just a thought, a stimulating thought. Many of us with a little age, do you remember a time in this country when it seemed to be there was a revival at least at one of the churches within throwing a stone distance from your home? It could have been a Baptist church, a Presbyterian church, a Methodist church, a Pentecostal church, but somebody was in revival. 
We knew a time when revivals, in whatever church you were a part of, it was going to have a revival, not just once or twice, but multiple times through the year. How often do you hear the word revival now? And revivals, of course, were designed simply for that, to keep us close to God, to be seeking his face, to desire something more from God, a deepening. How many knows God wants to be in our life? You see, the enemy cheats us whenever we think, oh, I don't want to bother God. Really? Do you think you can bother God? I mean, do you ever think God gets to a place, man, do you know about how broke I am? I don't have much left. That's not God. God doesn't go broke. Do you think God ever gets to the place where, you know, these people weary me. I'm tired of thinking for them. I, I, I'm just about burned out. We're talking about God who's never weary, who's never tired who never slumbers, who never sleeps. We're talking about a God that is El Shaddai. He is more than enough. You see what happens to us. It's just so subtle in the foundations. Again, this withholding. And in that withholding, the natural happens. God leaves us alone to our own sinful desires, and consequences. We feed upon ourselves. There's something else that happens. When God withholds and he allows us to bathe in our own sinful desires, then we also become slaves to demonic influence. So the question is, what can the righteous do? We begin by simply remembering that God's eye is upon his righteous. God is always looking. Again, the prophet said, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro and all the earth seeking a place. God so desires to be a part of our life. He so desires to show up in our life. When we pray, his ear is attentive to our cry. And remember this today. Remember that God doesn't have to have the majority for him to begin to move. God always has and always will use a remnant. Scripture after scripture, testimony after testimony shows where God many times just used something so small, so simple, so minuscule. But again, he takes that which we offer to him and he begins a new work. I wonder today how many wants an awakening, an awakening in your life, an awakening in your marriage, an awakening in your church, an awakening in this great country called the United States of America. Would you stand with me today?